All right, so uh, this is not a giant church, so I'm going to be honest with you. I'm fighting the urge right now. Uh, first, I feel I need to introduce myself. We actually have enough visitors in here today. I feel like I need to go. Hi, my name is Matt. Hi. Hey. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I've been a teacher for 19 years, math teacher for 19 years, and uh, dean at Danville High School, dean of discipline at Danville High School for the last three years. Um, so that's a fun, interesting job, as you can imagine. Um, I uh, am fighting the urge because of my teaching background of wanting to go around the room and have everybody introduce themselves, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I did think this morning how interesting it is that here we are today, and, and there's a temptation when you have a big group, and for us, this is a big group. So visitors, this is, this is giant for us, okay? So when you have a big group, you go, there's a temptation to feel like there's, this is, there's more God here. But I'm going to tell you right now, when there was 10 of us, God met with us then too, right? It's, it's, it's not about this. In fact, that's going to tie right in with exactly what I want to start with today. So before I pray, I want to start with a little thought here, ask you this question about... Uh, <clears throat> Have you, uh, and I'm sorry, I just clicked on something and I got the wrong, hang on. There we go, sorry. I clicked on something, went to the wrong notes. I was going to preach a sermon from three weeks ago. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly, I'm going to share a story about a spiritual experience. Everybody ever had a spiritual experience where you just you felt like you experienced something? You ever had that? Um, I'm going to share one with you that, just to get your minds thinking about this, I'm going to share one with you that I had several years ago. I think I was, I was trying to do the calculations when I was telling Charity about this this morning. I think I was probably 21, 22 years old. I was working at McLean, and it was, uh, I'd been working there for, I think, two years already, and I was, I mean, I would get off work, and um, at the time, Edgewood was over next to Fair Oaks. Anybody know where that old Edgewood building is? It was like Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church after us, and there's like a big gym there. It's a big old building. Um, that was where Edgewood used to be when I was a kid. That was, that was the building. And I used to get off work at like, I was working third shift loading trucks, and I would get off work, and I would, I would uh, on my way home, I would swing by the church. I, this is ridiculously dangerous to be at like three o'clock in the morning right there. And I would, but I would go by the church, and I would just I would go in there because I had a key. I would go in there and I would go into that big sanctuary and there were times where I would just, I, just, just cry out to God. Sometimes it was I, repentance. I'd been sinful, my heart, my mind. I had been sinful in my life leading up to this point in my life. I'm just crying out to God for repentance. I also felt kind of, where am I going in life? Like, God, what do you want me to do? God, God, I'll do anything you want. Like I, was, I was like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. You say it, I'll do it. What is it? Just tell me. And I would just have these times where I'd just go there by myself and I would, I would just cry out to God and you could do it out loud in that big sanctuary. And I can remember one time in particular that uh, just in, in a, a moment of feeling, and for those of you that know me really well, you know how odd this is for me to, I'm not really an emotional sort of person, but I was just just the emotion of it. I can remember sometimes I would just get down on that front. We had the pews. And for those of you that were, remember that church, what color were those pews? Green, Ugh, green I think is the technical term. Ugh, green. Um, and uh, you, you, I, I can remember getting on that front pew one time and just, just got on my knees and I was just praying to God. 
and it was the it was the oddest experience. I'm not telling you right now that some supernatural thing happened. I'm just telling you right now it was an experience. I felt like I had it. What it felt like? It felt like Jesus was sitting on that front pew, and I had my head on his knees and was just crying to him. And it felt, I mean, in my head, I, it's not like I felt something on my back, but it just felt like God was right there saying, and it's okay. And I just was crying, crying out to God, ran out of words and just for a few minutes. It, the tough thing about experiences like that, and maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about, when you have an experience like that, what do you seek to do? What's that? Get You want it again or you want to prolong it. There, there was multiple times I went back and, and prayed and did that thing, and it was like nothing. I'm like, this is just a stinky pew. I don't know who was sitting here. Like, I'm nothing. I'm not getting anything from this experience. I just, but that I enjoyed it. Some of you find easy opportunities to, to gather that experience. As I was sharing with Charity this morning, as you guys know, I, sometimes I, she gets the free sermon before I get the real sermon, and I just kind of talk it through with her. And it's, it was interesting, uh, she brought this up, and it's so true. I know that, and I know that many of you are like this when it comes to the music. Um, any of you have those moments when the music is going and you just, you're feeling it, right? Now, I'm gonna be honest. I don't get that as much. I think it's my 19 years of being a math teacher. I'm more analytical, and like I, I could many times the music is going. I'm not, I'm not really feeling. Now I've had times where I was listening to a sermon. I felt like the preacher was like, right at me. I was like, God told me something. Is what it felt like. I feel it, but I don't get that a lot in the music. Now Charity, is, she's very different to me. I mean, there's times where she's singing, and some of you that know the times that she's been up here, it's like she's singing right to God. And it's like the father's right there. None of you are, you guys are all irrelevant in those moments, right? And some of you know exactly what that's like. There's times where you just, and the words and you're caught up in it and you love that experience and we, we want to keep it going. Now, I'm not at all going to say that that's a bad thing or a good thing. Just, just, I'm just laying it out there. I think we've all had something similar to that to whatever degree it is something that to you was clearly from God. It spoke to you. It was glorious. It left you startled or awestruck, shaken maybe, crying, and you wished you could extend it as long as possible. So in the story today, I want you to pay careful attention to a guy named Peter, okay? So I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into this passage and uh, listen to what Peter does today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Luke doing his research, speaking to eyewitnesses, getting these accounts down so that we could, 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe, could read about it. I thank you for those along the way that worked so hard to make sure it was translated and cared for so that we today, we can look at this, this word and know it's accurate and true. Lord, I pray that as we look through it today that you would point us in the right direction to take from this passage what we ought to take from it this morning. I pray this now in Christ's name, amen. So we're in Luke chapter nine. We're gonna be in verse 28. I'm gonna go ahead and pop it up there. Luke chapter nine, verse 28 says this. 
Now, about eight days after these sayings, this is after, for those that have been here, it's after the teachings that he just gave to them. So there's some other things happening, and one of the things that he just told them for the first time was, I'm going to die. And then he turns around right after that and basically says, so are you. And so about eight days after this um, is this next story. So they've had some time to chew on this reality. For those apostles, this was, this was shaking up their world. This was not what they were expecting from their Messiah. Their Messiah was going to be king, and he was going to boot out the Romans. He was going to reestablish the kingdom. This is what they wanted from their king, their Messiah, and they wanted to be in on that. And you're going to feel this through the rest of our study of Luke. You're going to feel this tension of them trying to figure these things out and understand what this is all about. And so we get these three, Peter, John, and James. Sometimes we say Peter, James, and John. The other gospels kind of switch those up. But these three guys, these are Jesus's three. And he pulls them off so often for certain things, and he does that in this story. So we get th- down, and they go to this mountain is what it says. It says they went up on the, uh, on the mountain to pray. We have no idea what mountain this is. There's about four different mountains it could have been that they've guessed. It could be this one, could be this one. Could be. We have no idea, so I'm not even going to talk about which ones it could be because it doesn't matter. So there they are, they're up on the mountain. This is already feeling very much like stories that I've heard so often through the scriptures of people going up onto a mountain and meeting with God. And Jesus has gone up there as he does so often. Anytime there's a big adjustment in his ministry, he goes to pray. And so this is exactly what he's doing. And it says here, verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, if you want to talk about experiences, this is the experience of all experiences that have ever been experienced, okay? This is, in all of Scripture, the experience. Luke's translation, when it says right there, the appearance of his face was altered, literally, this is how how it could be translated, literally. The appearance of his face was other. Like, in Mark's account, Mark, I believe, gets most of his information, uh, John Mark gets most of his information, I think, from Peter. We don't know this for sure, but I think he gets a lot of information from Peter, and so you get a very practical view of what happened here. Mark's gospel shares it this way, and he was transfigured, he changed right before him. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and I feel, I get a Peter sense through this because I feel like he's just very practical. He's like, it, it, they're so white, like, like if you bleach something, it's like that's, that is, it's whiter than that. I mean, I can hear Peter. Peter's just so practical, so I, I get a sense of him coming through that. Matthew says it this way. He says, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. Now, I'm not, please, children, don't do this. Do not go out and stare at the sun to see. I wonder what that was like. That would be very bad. I think in like five seconds, you're blinded. Okay, so please don't do that. Please don't go, I wonder what that was like. Let's go look. Oh, okay, that's not, please don't do that. But that's, if you want an idea of what this experience was like, they were up there, they're praying. All of a sudden, next thing you know, Jesus is transformed. And this Jesus, who they've been walking around with, and he's, I mean, he's done some miraculous things, but this time he looks and he's like, it's like looking at the sun. It's white. His face, his clothes, is shining. 
And this isn't even the craziest thing that they see up here. It says this next. And behold, two men were talking with him. Now, Moses and Elijah have been dead for hundreds of years. But it seems that they are very much alive. I read this this morning again as I was going through this, and I thought, what a, what a wonderful thing for those that we have lost that have gone before. Right? Um, I met with Steve Simpkins' family. Steve just passed not that long ago. I met with his family the other day, and I'll be honest, they're, they're struggling through that grief of this lost brother his two sisters are. And it's passages like this. You go, he's not dead. And this, this gives you a glimpse. There's something other. It doesn't stop here. And here these guys are hundreds of years ago. And all of a sudden, they're just sitting there talking to Jesus. Now, you wonder why, maybe, why Moses and Elijah? There's some people would say, well, Moses kind of represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. I've heard that. Uh, some of the other commentaries I've read that really dig into the, the meanings behind these things, you see that Moses represents this prophet, right? The prophet like Moses, right, at the beginning of the kingdom. Yet Elijah is there much further into the kingdom where they were in the promised land and it wasn't working. And Moses, I mean, Moses, I'm sorry, Elijah, is, he's calling fire down on people left and right. Okay, there's, I mean, there's lots of judgment coming from Elijah, I mean, there's times, call fire down on this. And then there's times, and some people come up and they go, we're looking for it. He goes, okay, fire's gonna come down on you. And it's like, fire's coming down all the time. And like, here's Elijah, the prophet, this fiery guy. And they're there speaking with Jesus. I wondered, how do they know? How did, how did it know? That, how did they know who it was? How did they, did they know? Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, you could say, well, maybe Jesus told them later and they're just telling about it. But, but Peter's gonna say something in a minute that gives you a clue that he knew who it was somehow. Now, maybe Jesus stopped in his dazzlingness and it introduced, by the way, this is Moses Elijah. I don't know. But this part of me wants to think, maybe he knew. Maybe, and then, I, then my mind goes down a little trail. It's like, what we just know? Like when I get to heaven, am I gonna see Paul the apostle and just know, that's Paul. Like, we won't have to have, like, hello, my name is Paul, stickers on our shirts, right? It's like, we'll just know. We'll just know. Somehow, we'll know each other. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. But there they are, Moses and Elijah, alive and well, talking to Jesus. And then you go, I wonder what they were talking about. What were they talking about? <laughs> What's that? Ooh, yes, right? In fact, that's the very next verse, right? It says, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, let me show you something interesting here. That word departure. Now, the, the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. I'm gonna put up, I'm gonna take that word departure, I'm gonna put the Greek word up there, see if anybody recognizes it, okay? So there's the word departure, so just so you know where it's at. Here's it. Now, Paul, you're not allowed to answer. Um, everybody else, does that look familiar to you? Okay, I honestly didn't think you would say yes. <laughs> Let me use some English letters for this Greek word and see if it looks familiar to you. Oh. The exodus of Jesus. Now, that's fascinating because who are the two guys he's talking to? What's, one of them is who? Moses. Moses 
lived the Exodus. And here he's, so he's here and he's talking to Jesus, not about his Exodus that he went through, but he's like talking about there's this, this other Exodus, this Exodus that Jesus is going to do. So Moses is obviously interested in it. He lived it. The exodus of the Israelites was the key story of their salvation from bondage to the promised land. I wonder if Moses and Elijah before this moment have had any conversations about these things before they got here. I think so. I think they had had plenty of conversations. I think there had been some conversations about, in fact, I think Moses was probably every once in a while like, Okay, Elijah, you were there way after me. What's the deal with the goat? Like, we had, like, all these sacrifices, and there's a goat, and we sent it out in the wilderness? Like, what was that all about? And why, why were we killing stuff? Like, there's a lot of blood. We're killing things left and right. It was, like, never-ending, no matter what we did. And Elijah is sitting there going, and here's the, here's the terrible part. You guys were like, can't wait to get to the promised land. There's the promised land. You got to see it from afar. I'm telling you, we got there, and we blew it. We were terrible. <laughs> Over and over again, like, you don't know how many times I had to call fire down on people. <laughs> Moses was like, tell me about it. I was dropping them into the earth. <laughs> right? I mean, just, just, we're all terrible. And they're, they're like, but what? That had to be something. What was that about? And then they, maybe in some way they knew because Jesus departed from his father down to earth, became a baby. And I wonder if they, as this great cloud of witnesses, were just, what? why did he become a baby? And he's just growing up, and they've been watching it. And then there's this opportunity, and I don't know. I'm just guessing here, guys. I think this is how it played out. I imagine that Jesus said, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you guys. And so they got to come down, and they're like, yes. And so we got some questions. And I think they were just talking about, like, what was it all about? And I think there was a lot of this going on. Oh, so the exodus, that was just picturing something else that was going to happen later. Oh, and the killing of the sacrifice, that wasn't what that was about. You're Jesus, God in the flesh. You're going to do something. You're going to have an exodus, and you're going to save all of us. Well, that. Imagine they've discussed the law, the sacrifices, all of these things, and here they are. And Jesus is filling in the details. And they're going to go, oh. And imagine they're saying, I can't wait till this exodus at Jerusalem. I can't wait for that moment where you go, and it's horrible as it is, Lord. We believe you're going to make it through and come back. Now, let's not forget the people who are observing this. Who's up there watching this unfold? Yeah, Peter, John, and James. Let's sneak back over to them now. Verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. I think this goes back to maybe a little bit before the conversation. They've been heavy with sleep while Jesus was praying. This is not the last time they will do this. Okay, there's another time this happened. This is not the end. The, the, some of you, even I know, it's okay. 
Peter, John, and James, they're getting ready. They're seeing this, and they're getting dozy. So if you're ever in here listening to me preach and you get a little dozy, it's okay, okay? I don't mind if you walk out and go, wow, I was heavy with sleep. And, um, but it says, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. So just imagine they're, they're like they were praying with Jesus, and they're like, is he still praying? He's still praying. He's still praying. So is he still praying? Yeah, he's still praying. Is he still? What? I mean, just suddenly, I mean, he's transformed. They're observing the scene in front of them. And they're fully awake and saw his glory. And these two men that are stood with him, and they're listening to this conversation. And then it says this. I mean, are you guys in their shoes? Can you imagine this? You just picture this. I mean, you talk about experiences you've had, spiritual experiences you have where you felt the presence of the Lord. This one blows all of them out of the water, does it not? I mean, this is the experience of all experiences. Verse 33, as the men were parting from him, and so I don't know what this looked like, but the two men, they've answered, all the questions they answered, and Jesus probably, okay, guys, time to go. Moses and Elijah, they're parting, they're parting. And then Peter, I love Peter. I love Peter. Um, there's an old statement that says, there are two kinds of people in the world, people who have something to say and people who have to say something. Peter, I think, is the one that he's got to, I got to say something. I don't know what to say. In fact, we know that's exactly what the issue is here. He says, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents. Now, this might seem odd to you. Like, what are you talking about? Here's what I think. I don't think that he was just being totally ridiculous. I think Peter was thinking about festivals and things that lasted. And one of them that lasted was the, it was called the Feast of Booths. And they had the, they'd set up these tents. It would last for a week. I think Peter was like, Let's extend this experience as long as we can. And he went to something he was familiar with, this feast where they'd set up these tents. And here they are out in the wilderness, and he's like, let's set up tents. I mean, and he was probably thinking, Moses gets that. He's the one that instituted it. <laughs> like, I'm recommending the feast of tents to the guy who came up with the, I mean, he told us about the feast of tents, and I'm going to recommend it. He was probably super pumped about it. I bet Moses is going to really love my idea. We get from uh, Mark chapter nine, that version says, for he did not know what to say for they were terrified. I mean, he was so, they were just so awestruck and terrified. And the other two are like, but Peter's like, let's build tents. <laughs> but I think he was just speaking to what we all would speak to. Let's keep this going as long as we can. This is awesome. So let's not judge Peter too harshly. As he was saying these things, like as the words are exiting in his mouth, a cloud came and overshadowed them. This is very reminiscent of things that Moses had experienced already. This, we call it in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God comes down many times like a cloud and it comes down on the top of this mountain. And so he's sitting there going, we could get some tents and we could introduce us in the cloud as overshadowed all of them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I mean, so they're in this. And then, verse 35, a voice came out of the cloud saying, so God the Father then speaks. You talk about awesome moments. I mean, I've had times where it felt like God was speaking to me, but I've never had a time where I actually heard something audible. I, if you have that's awesome. I've never had that. 
I kind of honestly hope I don't because it sounds terrifying. Um, I, this sounds, ter- I mean, everybody that has that happen in the scriptures, they're, they're terrified. So I'm okay, Lord, if you want to, you can say something, but the cloud comes down, he speaks. I wonder what that voice sounded like. And it says, I imagine it booming. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, an interesting side note. So let's take a little side note here. The other two gospel accounts share this a little bit differently. Mark's version says this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Matthew's version says this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I don't want anybody to ever be tripped up when you read these things. Go, wait, who got it right? The, the point is this. Regardless of the specific words that were said, the point of what God said is captured by these three accounts. Right, the point of what, so Luke, that chosen one, this is my beloved son. These, all these elements were important for what God was saying in that moment. So we can look at this with a surety that if I want to understand the fullness of what God was saying, it required three accounts to get across what God was saying in that moment. This is my son that I love. I'm pleased with him. He's my chosen one. But all three of them repeat one phrase. What's the phrase that all three of them get exactly the same? Listen to him. Listen to him. The voice speaks. Next thing they know, Jesus was alone. Luke's gospel says they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Mark's gospel adds a little bit more information, says why they didn't share. It says as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen. I imagine they may have said, what would we say? (laughs) Well, I don't even know if I got the words. No problem, because I don't even know how to describe what just happened. And Jesus says, tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what, is, what this rising from the dead might mean. Matthew's version actually tells us that they asked him, what do, you, what do you mean, rise from the dead? They're still just not getting it. There's a lot of different ways to look at this story. I wrestled with this actually two weeks because I was going to do it last week, and then I told Paul, Can you? he's like, I could preach this, and I said, good, because I'm not ready yet. I think there's a lot of things that remind me of Moses on Mount Sinai, the cloud coming down. It reminds me of that Shekinah glory. It reminds me of the Exodus. There's all kinds of things we could talk about there, just what the meaning of the Exodus of Jesus is about. I'd love to go into more detail about what they could have been discussing with Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus. Taught, what could they have talked about in more detail? But I want to focus this morning as we're... We're drawing to a close already, but I want to focus this morning on what Peter said. And then I want to focus on what he might say later. Peter, obviously, and John and James spoke about this because it's been recorded in these three gospel accounts. But Peter himself writes about this about 30 years later, a little more than that, 35, I think, about years later, we get a letter that Peter writes. We get two letters of his that are recorded. One of them is 2 Peter. And I want to go to 2 Peter to, say, to ask this question. Not what did Peter say then, 
But what would he say after he's had 30 some years to think about that experience? I think you're gonna be surprised at what he says. Second Peter chapter one, uh, verse 16, I'm gonna go there. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's mind-blowing to think that even in his lifetime, 30 years later, there were people who were already saying, that's myth. I imagine for Peter, he would have been dumbfounded. No, he goes, he'd be like, you don't understand. I saw these things. It's not a myth. Peter probably would have been of of the sort that said, I'm a fisherman, I don't make up myths. We saw it. And so he's writing this letter to whoever he's writing, who the audience was for this letter. One of the things he's telling them is, listen, we weren't, it wasn't some cleverly devised myth. We were eyewitnesses. But then listen to the one thing that he points out, he's an eyewitness to. Of all the things he could have mentioned in this particular, look at, listen to the one thing he points out when he's talking about this. Listen to it. For when he received honor, and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. <gasps> What's he talking about? He's talking about that experience. And he describes it as the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. We were there, we saw, we heard God say, this is my son with whom I am pleased. Now, listen to what he says next. I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna summarize it because there's a lot here that we could dig into, but I want you to catch the gist of what he says. He says this, very next verse. We saw this, it's amazing, it's glorious. We heard the voice, we were there. And then he says, and we have now, currently, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, that happened, now I believe this even more. Right? Now I believe this even more. This is more confirmed in my head now because of that experience that I had. And I'm telling you about the experience. He's saying, I'm telling you, I saw this, and this is what I've become convinced of, this. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Kind of sounds like what God told them. Listen to him, right? Pay attention. I feel like a teacher right now. Pay attention. Sit up. No, I'm sorry. I just scared Issa. She's like, (laughs) pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I imagine even as he's writing this, he's he's picturing what he saw. Like we're all gonna see that glory. And until that day comes, pay attention to this. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You think what you want. Jesus fulfilled it. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. Men that Peter talked to on that mountain. 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word, pay attention, that word is translated a few different ways. It, can, it has that, pay attention is a great way to think of it. There's a, there's a really weird one, but I think it'll help you understand the emphasis of it. it. It's a word that means to come alongside, like to, to get close, to, to have this. It's not just like, I'm listening to it. No, it's like this regular, there's a regularity to it. And in 2 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, this exact same word is used in referring to qualifications of a pastor. And it's used in the negative. It says, don't be, 1 Timothy 3, 3 says, don't be addicted to much wine. That word that's translated addicted is the same word that you see here when it says pay attention. That's interesting, isn't it? So don't be this, but, but there's in some way, we're to be like biblical drinkers. Right? I'm addicted to this. I got to have this. I get home from work. It's not go to the fridge, pop open a cold beer. It should be, I need, I need the word. Right? I need this. I need this more than I need my diet Mountain Dew. Oof. That's pretty serious stuff. I do. I need to get it in the morning. I need some at night. Every chance I get, that's what we need. And Peter, who had the experience of all experiences, walks away from it and says, you know what? I'm, simplistically enough, read your Bible. What, what an application. That's an easy application for you today, isn't it? Now, let me tell you this. I know that many of us, and I, I, I'm not saying this with a, a shred of negativity. I know that we love ex- the experience, don't we? I love those times when you just have, they feel so sweet. I have found from my own experience that much of doing this feels like a chore. And that's okay. Because as you dig and you dig and you dig, I'm telling you right now, the more you dig, every once in a while you'll be reading this and so those of you that go, I love the experience, I love those things, you don't have to wait till we get to Sunday and somebody's singing and you're like, woo! I mean, you could, any day of the week, you could be sitting there and I can tell you right now, there's been times about just reading this word and all of a sudden, and I'll tell you, anybody that's in here that has been a faithful reader of God's word knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's like God spoke to me. I was sitting there by myself in my lazy boy chair and I was reading his word and he spoke to me. It was as, as clear as a voice from heaven. And I don't critique Peter for wanting to build tents and extend the experience. We love those. Enjoy them every single time you get. But understand that what Peter walked away with from the experiences, I've become convinced I need to read this word. That's fascinating, isn't it? Don't let, in fact, I want to encourage you don't, I'm just being, I don't know everybody in this room, so I, I can't say, but I know that many Christians fall into this trap of like, they've had bad things happen, they show up at church and they have an experience. They have a, I mean, there's that, maybe the first time in a long time and you, 
heard and whew, and it's just like God was there and he was speaking to you and you're like, yes. And then you go through the week and you're, you're looking forward to the next Sunday and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Good, come back again. Hopefully, you know, these things happen again. But there's many that they come back and they don't get the same thing and they go, there must be something wrong. And then they, they stop coming and, and they, because all they're wanting is the experience. They're just wanting to be on the mountaintop and God revealing himself. And I'm telling you that Peter, who saw the greatest revelation and the greatest spiritual experience that has ever happened to any human being on this planet, his takeaway 30 years later was read the word. And so get out your Bibles and dig into it. Don't, don't be weak about it. Study it. Read it. Don't give up if every single time you open it, it's not like, I mean, don't expect every single time you open it to be like, oh, angels singing down like lights shining. That's not going to happen. But I can guarantee that this written word, every word, not a, not a single one of them was by the will of man, it says, but by the will of God for you to read. If you have not been digging into the word, this would be a great week to start. If you've been coming to church or, or maybe even this has become a desire of an experience, don't be dismayed when sometimes it feels like just reading, right? Many times it's going to feel like you're just reading. But we wait patiently at his feet. And every time we read his word, we hope for him to speak through that to us, to break through the stubbornness of our own minds right to the heart. And you will find the more you do that, the more where you get it. And then you start to understand people like Isaiah who said, I got your word and I tasted it and I ate it. It was good. For some of you, it's like, that didn't make any sense. But those of you have delved into the word, you go, yeah. And there, are, there are phrases in the scripture that have become to you like the sweetest treasures you've ever experienced. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, sweet. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, anybody, this morning, according to the riches of his grace, he saves us. Those words become like morsels, consume them feed on them, live on them. Now, we are about to partake in the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you today, if you're sitting here in this room and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been following Jesus Christ and you're like, I, I believe in him, I wholeheartedly do. I don't care if you've been doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You're like, that's my hope and my trust I want to take a few minutes here before we distribute this bread in this cup for you to examine your heart and say, Lord, may, some of you are going to have to go, you know what? I've been, if I were honest, my Bible has a layer of dust three months thick on it. Right? Some of you, if you're honest, you'll say, the only scripture I get is when I come to church on Sunday. Right? Some of you, got, you've got some repenting to do right now. 
But I don't want you to think that that disqualifies you from this. If you're here today and you're like, Lord, I'm, I repent of this. Lord, I'm sorry. I have not been doing it. Lord, change me. I will encourage you to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partake in this because of the riches of his grace, his forgiveness that he offers. This is meant to be a remembrance that your salvation is not dependent on how good you've been. You are not gonna stack up in heaven by, okay, this person read the Bible way more than this person did, so they're way better. That is not what I'm preaching at all today. I'm talking to you about reading the word. I'm, I'm coming to you like the way a beggar comes to other beggars and says, I found some bread. And so when you take this bread today, I want you to think of that like taking it with Jesus. This is the, the good stuff. And so Jesus will say, and I read this from Paul, he shares what he got from the Lord, and he'll say, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. And so that's what you need to do today. You need to remember Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, suffered the penalty of your crimes, took those upon himself, and he freely offers you his righteousness so that you can stand before God holy, not based on what you've done, right? And then he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. As often as you take it, do this in remembrance of me. For those of you that have not been here before, what I'm going to do in just a minute, and I think we've got some music, so I may have Jeff come up, and he's going to start playing some music. You know, can I just say, I don't mind that when he plays the music, I know some of you that stirs the heartstrings. That's okay. Right? I don't mind if you in these moments go, I want, I want, an, I want an experience of your presence, Lord, as I take that's That's great. That's wonderful. I hope that it happens. But I want you to also know, if you're sitting here and you maybe you're a little bit more like me and you're very analytical and you have a hard time getting into that, and you go, this is just bread and this is just, you know what? In those moments, you can still say, God, I'm doing this out of obedience to you and I, I, I'm doing this because I trust you and I know that when I die, all of my righteousness is wrapped up in you. And so I, do, I will do this every time I get a chance to remember you. Whether you ever give me an experience or not, whether I feel anything, God, I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I love you. I'm doing it because I'm gonna follow you to the day I die. Lord, help me to repent of my sin. Cry out to you and partake in these things. So after about, I would say maybe... 30 seconds, 45 seconds. What we've been doing is you guys just file out, come down this middle aisle, and I'm going to have these two trays out. You're going to grab a cup. For those that are new here, the cups are double cupped. So there's two, one on top of another. The bottom one has the bread in it. Okay, so you're going to grab that double cup. Just take it back to your seat and just, just, just hold it, and I will lead you. Once everybody's come through, I'll lead you through the rest. So I'm going to pray for these things. Wait about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and whenever you're ready, just feel free to come on up and get your cup. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask now for a blessing on this bread and this cup. Lord, I know that's all it is. Lord, I pray that as well for every single one in this room, it would be a remembrance. Whether that's in a remembrance of emotion or a remembrance mentally, remembrance in the heart, whether we have to preach it to ourselves and remind ourselves. Whatever that remembrance looks like, I pray that it would be a remembrance of you. I pray this now in Christ's name.
Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, oops, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd broken it, he said to them, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim that's what we're doing right now we're proclaiming to each other the Lord's death until he does come back Heavenly Father I thank you for this day Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for every soul in this room. Lord, I ask now that as we close this service, Lord, whether you give us that experience or not, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be moved to focus on you, to hear you, and to remember you in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus' name.